Hello, America. It's time for Uncle Sam Says. And I'm getting ready to tell a great story of the American Revolution. So gather round, call in your friends and neighbors, because all of you need to learn what I'm about to tell you. These stories are great, and they need to be told, so our children do not forget their heritage. We've got to know how this great nation came to be, and why such great men and women were willing to give everything they had. They put it all right on the line. They knew they'd be killed if they lost. <laughs> and if they weren't killed in battle and were captured, then it was the same dang thing. Those redcoats killed more of our people in prisons than they did in battle. Why were we willing to do it? Well, that's what I'm here to teach you. And it can't be taught in just one lesson or letter. You gotta keep after it. You gotta keep learning. Freedom is not free. And if we go to sleep and lose it, then it gets awful expensive real quick. The people I'm going to tell you about today knew what it was all about. And they were willing to give it all, and some of them did just that. Now, I've already told you a bit about the Battle of Trenton. But there is just a whole lot more to tell about that battle. George Washington was pure genius. He certainly deserves the title, Father of Our Country. Yes, sir. Well, just to set the stage for you, I, I, I got to tell you what George Washington was, was in. He, he was in a real bad spot. He'd lost battle after battle, and the morale of his troops was just terrible. They were all very patriotic. They were all willing to fight, but they just weren't winning. Those soldiers had families at home, and they needed taken care of. Some of the soldiers were just flat-going AWOL to do it. <laughs> the desertions were killing his army. And if that weren't enough, most of his officers and men had their enlistments expire at the end of December, <laughs> 1776. <laughs> and then they could go home legally. And that was just a week away. It really looked like the end of the Revolutionary War before it hardly even got started. On top of all that, the weather was just terrible cold. Soldiers were actually freezing to death. Now, during this terrible time was when George Washington got the idea to attack the Hessians at Trenton. It was a very risky plan. He knew that Colonel Rawl at Trenton had over 1,500 troops and that his commander, Colonel Carl von Donop, had another 2,000 troops at Bordentown, just five or six miles south. In other words, if it wasn't a complete surprise, then Washington would be facing over 3,500 troops instead of just the 1,500 troops of Colonel Rawl. He couldn't retreat. Why, why how do you get back into boats and cross, cross the, the ice-choked Delaware River <laughs> with 3,500 troops chasing you? Besides, his men are pretty tired from crossing it the first time. No, sir, it was a risk, but George Washington got himself a plan. Oh, what a conniver. Yeah, you're going to love this bit, but uh, I I'm going to have to back up just a little so that you'll understand a bit more about all of the major players here. First, just a word about Colonel Carl von Donop. Ah, he was the main commander opposing the Americans in southern New Jersey. He was the son of a noble family and very well connected in the European courts. He was a very ambitious soldier and had distinguished himself on several occasions. He was the highest-ranking officer in southern New Jersey. Uh, did I say he was ambitious? Oh, he was more than that. He was a genuine fop. <laughs> now, do you know what a fop is? 
Well, I ought to make you go look it up and increase your vocabulary. Well, a fop is a dandy. He's a man so concerned about his appearance that almost nothing else matters, especially when a beautiful woman is present. He was so foppish that his own men loathed him. He was, well, deferential to his superiors, but to his own men he was harsh, and he had given them severe beatings. They were common. But uh, because he was such a fop, George Washington was pretty sure his plan would work. Okay, the, the next player in this little drama is Samuel Griffin. Now, Colonel Griffin was under General Israel Putnam, who, of course, was under George Washington. And together, they all planned this little battle of Trenton, New Jersey. Now, he had been a practicing attorney. Now, here was a man who had studied the law, and he'd studied the classics. He was only 30 years old in the prime of his life and totally willing to fight for his country. Now, he had been an aide-de-camp to General Charles Lee. That was Washington's second-in-command. Now, believe you me, an aide-de-camp just had to be the best of the best. They become an extension of that general, and they actually ran all the operations for him. They had to be not only smart, but, but savvy, if, if you know what I mean. Well, I, I mean, he had to have a kind of street smarts about him. <laughs> and Samuel Griffin had some, oh, he had street smarts in, in widescreen and technicolor. <laughs> okay, the, the next player in this little drama, why, that's none other than Betsy Ross. Now, everyone knows Betsy Ross was the one that made her very first flag. Oh, there are those that try to dispute that, but, but I know that she did, and, and when I'm done, you'll know that, too, and, and why. Uh, Betsy had been given a very bad rap from history, and I don't like that. Nope, not one bit. It's those dad burn progressives messing with our history books again, trying to tear down all that's good about our national heroes and heroines. Well, that's why I'm telling these stories, to set that record straight. <sighs> In one book I read, they actually called her a slut. Why, if I could have been there when they wrote that, they'd have lost some dignity and, and perhaps even some teeth. Oh, I'm sorry, I do believe in free speech, but, but I believe in consequences, too. And, and the consequences of lying and slandering my girls is going to cost about, well, let's see, it's going to cost about two or three teeth per lie. <laughs> uh, Betsy was born a Quaker and was very well schooled and even taught a trade of sewing and upholstering. She was a good girl and a good student and really applied herself to learning how to sew and how to do upholstery. Today we think of upholsterers as primarily sofa makers and such. But in colonial times they performed all manner of sewing jobs, uh, including flag making. Her only problem was that she fell in love with a fellow upholstery student apprentice. His name was John Ross. And he was not a Quaker. In fact, he was the son of an Episcopal assistant rector at Christ Church. That's one of the main churches in Philadelphia. It was simply not allowed for a girl to marry outside the Quaker faith. Well, in desperation, <laughs> Betsy and John eloped. 
Yipper, they ran away. They got married in a tavern and began life in Philadelphia, and within two years they had their own upholstery business. <laughs> uh, but hold on, I, I better start with some basics. Uh, Elizabeth Griscom. <clears throat> That's Betsy. Elizabeth Griscom, also called Betsy, was born January 1st, 1772. Betsy went to a Friends, that's the Quaker, public school. For eight hours a day she was taught reading, writing, and, and she received instruction in a trade that was sewing and upholstering. After completing her schooling, Betsy's father apprenticed her to a local upholsterer. It was at her job there that Betsy fell in love with John Ross. Hey, thanks for listening, folks. We'll have to continue with Betsy Ross Super Spy tomorrow. So until then, remember, you're learning the truth. Tell your friends and speak with boldness. Keep your powder dry.